This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. I'm Paul. And unfortunately, I'm Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about The Book of Skulls by Robert Silverberg, uh, first published in 1972, I thought said 1971 copyright date somewhere but uh, maybe i'm wrong um and uh this is a book i'd never read before did it get it got nominated for locus uh, nebula and hugo too maybe not hugo yes hugo hugo as well yeah. did it win anything i think it won the hugo and the nebula as a matter of fact wow that's I, crazy. I don't think it, I don't think it won those. No, I <laughs> no? think it was just nominated. Yeah, it was nominated for both. I think it's crazy because it, it, it it's really uh-huh. interesting. It doesn't feel like a science fiction book at all. Um, yeah, and it was picked as one of the SF masterworks as well. Yeah, I, I I mean Robert Silverberg is a science fiction writer, so whatever he writes is science fiction, I guess. <laughs> No, no, no! It couldn't have. I couldn't have won the Hugo because I remember there's an anecdote about Silverberg saying, "Oh yeah, there was a small book that beat me that year," and it turns out to be The Gods Themselves by Asimov. So. Right, you are correct. I was I was reading the blurb that says Hugo and Nebula Award-winning author. Yeah, yeah, uh, they tricked you. <laughs> yes, they tricked you. Um, this is uh, feels like a another author's style of book to me. It feels a lot like a Lawrence Block book. Really? Yeah, he he's really he's he was a science fiction writer briefly, but he migrated into um, into the Lawrence Block genre <laughs> rather quickly. Um, and uh, Silverberg came up through the same uh, writing system, you know, a little bit in the magazines, but mostly in paperbacks. And he also was a prolific writing machine. And they both. Yeah, absolutely. He was. He, uh, as Robert Silverberg, he put out a lot of stuff. His, uh, he was like, I don't know, something ridiculous, four books a, a year or uh-huh. five a week, five a week or something. But uh, he, I didn't check out any of the other material. But uh, I was looking him up, and he published also under, I don't know, five or six uh, pseudonyms as well. Yep. And in all sorts of genres, he wrote erotica. He wrote mysteries. He wrote. He wrote the. He wrote. He was a writer's writer. Yeah, and in fact, yeah, wasn't he? Wasn't he doing this stuff uh, in New York City with it, Harlan Ellison? It's a writer's writer. He's yeah, so Harlan writer. Ellison, yeah. Donald Westlake, Lawrence Block, all wrote uh, for the uh, the what do they call it? The kind of uh, paperback you read with one hand. <laughs> 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 And uh, they wrote a ton of those books um, because they were paying markets and they'd take as much as you could write. Um, So there's a ton of those books in them before they even get to becoming sort of mainstream, uh, not mainstream, I guess, popular writers. And uh, you can sort of feel it in this book. You can also feel it in Lawrence Block's stuff. Not so much in Donald West, like he's not as much as... uh, sex 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 he does do uh, he did some of that but um he didn't sort of keep keep it going <laughs> mm-hmm. as much he didn't he, keep it up yeah he didn't he couldn't keep it up <laughs> although he did keep up a, a pace of writing a lot of other stuff 
Um, and mm. Harlan Ellison, as you say, you know, he he also kept up the pace, and he's not well known mm. for his novels, right? But he yeah. wrote a he wrote a lot of a lot of material for uh, stuff that isn't science fiction at all. This feels like a. I was thinking like this doesn't feel like a science fiction book at all, but it 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 could be classified as a fantasy, but it doesn't feel like a fantasy either. It, it's genre adjacent. I mean, we have we have this. It's almost it's kind of almost secret history because you have the secret history of. Mm-hmm. Of, of this cult that may or may not, depending on what you believe, actually have come from Atlantis, in which case then it really is science fiction fantasy because Atlantis never existed. But how can we really trust what, what that monk was spewing as far as the history of the order? I mean, how much of that is we, are we supposed to actually believe? Mm-hmm. Or I believe anything of this, once they, especially once they get inside the compound. I, it's, it's also interesting, uh, I broke the I think I sent these the files to you the same way. I broke the book up into two parts because you know MP3 files sort of go squirrely after a certain point, uh-huh. um, and uh, I think it's almost exactly halfway through that they actually arrive at their destination, yeah. mm. and then it turns into a sort of another kind of book. It it, it feels like, um, and I, I guess you guys saw the Wikipedia entry mentioning the movie that was going to be made out of it. Yeah, yeah. Feels like one of those, you know, it's a happy road trip movie right? <laughs> with a comedy and then, with a big skull on it, and then it turns into yeah. like a Quentin Tarantino uh, sort of, uh oh, what did we get ourselves into situation here? Yeah, yeah. I I found it interesting the route they took, in in because they they even mentioned it like, well, why would you drive west from New York? to Chicago and then to Phoenix. Why, why, why wouldn't you go more diagonally through, like, say, Interstate 40? And then I realized, although he never says it, what they really write, what they really follow going from Chicago to Phoenix is really the, the route, roughly, of old US 66. Mm. So, not, not 666, right? No, not 666. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, get, no, 66, the, the quote-unquote quintessential American highway that ran from Chicago to to the West Coast and Los Angeles, you know, and all the symbolism that goes in with that. America, coming of age, journeys, Billingsdon Roman, the whole works. Although they never actually pointed out directly in the text. I mean, that kind of sets us up for arriving in Phoenix and and the second half of the book. So they basically kind of do the the American road trip, particularly from Chicago to Phoenix, as far as they're sort of coming of age into this new life inside the compound and walk well, new deaths in some cases. Uh, it, there is a movie called uh, Route 666. It's, uh, it's not no, the but, same but movie. The, but, but, there was a, but there was a TV show. <laughs> sure, Route, Route 66. 66. Yeah. And, uh, it, and I, still I, find signs. I, I didn't think about it before but i at, you know as i'm in the middle of the book but at the beginning or at the end of the book i'm i'm like oh i i see what kind of book this is and because i didn't do a lot of pre-reading on it or anything i just read uh, i guess briefly the wikipedia entry and then uh do you you guys don't read as many old magazines as i do today no, you might no have read does, in the Jesse. old day i know <laughs> but um there was ads uh in the old magazines from weird tales in the 1930s all the way to the 
1970s, probably even into the 80s, I'm pretty sure even to the 80s, for this mysterious thing. And it was always, you know, there's all sorts of weird ads in magazines and comics, right? But um, there was these weird ads and... I'm like, I think I know this? what you're going to say. Are you going to say the Rosicrucians? And Rosicrucians, right? Yeah, baby. Uh. And so I'm looking at uh, one from Weird Tales, and it says, A secret method for the mastery of life. Knowledge that has endured with the pyramids. Whence came the knowledge that built the pyramids and the mighty temples of the pharaohs? Civilization began in the Nile Valley centuries ago. Where did the first builders acquire their astounding wisdom? Well... Send away for this free book. <laughs> right. then, yeah, I remember. I, I I remember reading some of those ads too, and uh, you know they were they were big on uh, out of body experiences and uh, uh, astral projection and like that. Yeah. And uh, one of their headlines said, "You may walk on the surface of the sun." Yeah, which is, I mean that 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 roped me right in because I mean that's that's what I want to do. <laughs> Sweet. Some of them are like, um, uh, there was other, other, uh, Rosicurians aren't the only ones, but they were the most consistent um, throughout. And the, the ads change and the copy change, but the free book is still the same free book, right? <laughs> you may change the cover on it, but you send away for it, and then you become a member or something of this secret society that is going to yeah, give you A-M-O-R-C. A-M-O-R-C. Yeah. Ancient, myst- ancient mystical order of the Rosy Cross. Right. And then there's wow. pictures. What secret power, and this is a later version, like, a, I don't know, from the 70s. What secret power did, the, did they possess? Picture of Benjamin Franklin, Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon. Oh, I could become like them. Know the <laughs> mysterious world within you. Attune yourself to the wisdom of the ages. Grasp the inner power of your mind. Learn the secrets of a full and peaceful life. So they're not technically promising immortality, but uh, certainly power on this earth, right? Mm. And and then I was thinking also, this is 1972. Um, this is the time, you know, prime time for cults. Um, in just, you know, uh, some girl, she's going to college, and then some charismatic guy in a, uh, I don't know, a robe says, hey, baby, <laughs> we're going to the desert. You want to come? <laughs> and then she just disappears, <laughs> drops out of college, right? And and that's, that's uh, what we've got, essentially, right? In this book, it's yep. a book about a cult that these guys get sucked into. And then whether the cult yeah, is real actively or not. seek actually. <laughs> yeah, but I can you know. see what like like it, it's even more interesting if it's not advertised, right? If you mm. found it in a like if I found uh, that in a book and then I found out uh, there is there is an actual place, like I'd be really intrigued by that. But then like the kind of immortality if they achieve uh, immortality actually, it's not kind of what I want to. I don't want to like pick potatoes out of the desert. <laughs> sit in a room years. meditating all day. This is not my cup of tea. For all eternity. It's what you do with, Jesus yeah, Christ. It's what you do with life. Not what I, I, I mean I found it interesting that that uh, uh, um the one character unfortunately I forget which character was was talking was he's laying out these whole plans for the next couple hundred years of immortality right. and as I'm listening to this i'm thinking dude you're not going to get to do that you're going to be stuck in this in this <laughs> fastest 
fastness for a couple hundred for hundreds of years. You're not going to get to, oh, I'm going to learn this, and then I'll do this, and then then I'll learn about. Then I will do sex, and then I will do this. And it's like that's none of that's going to happen, even if this immortality thing is true. The the unrealistic expectations of those who are going to get immortality is hilarious in hindsight. It's like you really. you really think you're going to be the first ones to get the immortality and then leave? Why hasn't anyone else? You're making fun of me, Paul. <laughs> I used to do that all the time. When I get immortality, I'm going to spend 30 years just studying music because I don't know nothing about it. <laughs> I'll, I'll travel the world just on barefoot for another 15, 20 years until I get bored of that. Yeah, I, that's, that's Walk uh, across Larry, Asia. Yeah, Larry huh. Niven's um, you know, immor- immortal characters do that, right? They get yeah. bored from... Two hundred years Louis of Wu. living. Yeah, Louis we, Wu. yeah, we talked about yeah, we talked about that in Ringworld and Ringworld Engineers. Louis Wu's bored and always looking for something new. He's become mm. a fashion maven for for sixty <laughs> years, and then <laughs> you know, become a hermit, live in a cave. And then they want to write the best novels. Like that's not how I mean, I'm thinking of that. Like even Silverberg knows that's not how publishing works. Uh, well, yes, but I think this, that's the, that's the key to the sort of the attraction of this book, right? Is that they're not Silverberg at, at the time he's writing it. They're Silverberg at the time of him not knowing, like he's manu- managed to encapsulate sort of stupid guys who are in college who don't know. Well, stuff. I, I don't know about stupid, stupid well, or callous. Callow's a good one. Yeah, but like na- naive about how the way the world works. Like at some point, oh, that, they should have not joined that cult, right? They should have <laughs> not joined that. Well, here, cult. here's 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 I'm going to spew on it for a minute because here's what I think the whole thing mm-hmm. was about. Uh, Paul touched on it with the Route 66 thing. It's, it's definitely uh, framed in a road trip novel, mm-hmm. okay? A road trip type of uh, situation, and they're on a quest. And what their quest is, is uh, literally in the, within the story, it's for eternal life. But this isn't even uh, disguised a little. It's 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 about uh, it's all framed in uh, existential philosophy, where they're they're seeking mm-hmm. uh, meaning, meaning yep. to their own to their own lives and. Um, each one of them has a kind of a different personal experience. They have different different personal devils, but they're all pursuing it under the under the the rubric of uh, existentialism. There's no meaning to life. Uh, human beings are a cosmic accident, uh, but they're going to seek for meaning anyway. And uh, even though they are kind of skeptical, some of them, if not all of them, on the way there, it's it's worth it's worth the risk, even if you logic tells you that it's not it's not real. It's worth the risk to try and find, you know, some personal meaning, some meaning for yourself, some significance for your life. And I think that's what the whole thing is. They're they're all fighting their own personal demons, but it's all under that that same uh, underlying outline of uh, of existentialism. And of course, it's all couched in the 70s in 1972 uh mm-hmm. and that was pretty accurate i remember those days <laughs> <laughs> i read this book when it was new and wow. um 
Yeah. And uh, I remember quite enjoying it, but not quite understanding a lot of it. But since then, having a, a little um, uh, time under my belt, uh, I've run across these ideas now and uh, can, can, can recognize them now at a distance when I see them, uh, see them in print. But uh, uh, give Silverberg uh, one thing. Uh, he certainly knew his ex- existential philosophy. <laughs> Yeah, he. Uh, that's uh, that's exactly what it is. I, I mean, this book lives and dies on the fact that there's no Wikipedia, right? <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the period, and like, you don't get on a bus uh, or a, you know a, 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 take a road trip to Arizona to to find out about a cult without looking it up first on Wikipedia. <laughs> Just, uh, like, I mean, you and I don't, anyways. But. Um, this is exactly, you know, this is how people get into Scientology and stuff too, right? It's not, you know, not that they make you, maybe they do make you kill other members of the cult, but the important part is, <laughs> the important part is when when you're you, you get on the bus from Kansas and arrive in Hollywood and you have no contacts and no no and you you know you want to be in pictures, you you get off the bus and you look around and. And you get a shitty job, and then you're living in an apartment and can't really afford to be there, and you're not getting any roles in plays or anything. You're still taking acting classes. And then some friendly guy says, you know, I, I found some real meaning uh, at, at this place I've been going to, and uh, I've been working on myself, and I'm becoming a better person. And also they helped me get jobs. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, I've been feeling some existential meaninglessness. Um, and, uh, you know, I used to be a Christian at some point, but I stopped going. And, and I didn't really get it at the time. I don't know why my parents were all about that. And then it's sort of people just, that's that's exactly what's going on here, right? None of them are religious. Um, and they are living in a world with uh, lots of sex and lots of... Um, some of them have money and some of them have uh, angst and and they all have something in common, which is they don't want to die. Or do they? <laughs> the death wish thing. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing, yeah. So, I mean, when they're confronted with it at the beginning, just the decision to go ahead and take this trip is kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, notice you it know, doesn't so, happen on screen, right? Right, right. So, the... Uh, you know, like Wayne said, you know, this existential thing. And like you're saying, you know, the this whole search for meaning is why they went, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it is, you know, they're, they're looking at lives that aren't that interesting ahead of them. Yeah. So I'm Eli, by the way, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the book. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have found the manuscript. Uh, well, yes, but... I'm also the Jew, hey guys, right? You guys aren't I've Jewish, got this idea. so I'm the Jew. <laughs> That's right. One of you is mm-hmm. is uh, an out homosexual or bisexual, and the other is a closeted homosexual, and one of you has a trust fund, <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't have a trust fund. Uh, I don't know of any homosexual leanings I have, so I'm not. Well, you you, I, you have to confess that later, Paul. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> in, in the confession, in the weird confession yeah. time. I mean, I, I mean, I, when, when we had those like confessions, he says, I was suddenly was thinking of reality shows in Big Brother all of a sudden. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, if they did a film of this today, they would oh, probably God, yeah. they would probably make it like that somehow. Oh God, yes. I it's mean, disappointing as hell, but yeah. <laughs> no, no. But it, it, it would work, and people would instantly grasp onto it even if it's yeah kind of puerile by modern standards it's still 
work for being puerile. Uh, there, there is no movie version, but uh, apparently it was William Friedkin who wanted to make it, which w- oh, wow. would made would have made it. I think you know if he had if he had done it, it would not have been a game show. <laughs> it would have been uh, sort of you know starts off mild and ends up horror, right? Mm. Which, which yeah, that's that's wild. how I felt the book went anyway. I kind of felt it turned toward horror there at the end. Yeah, I think and, it is a horror a horror story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that last. Uh, I went back and re-listened to the the ending, and then um, I'm like, oh, I sort of skipped. Uh, like, I skipped the. Uh, I, I'm thinking a lot during the book, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about what what's going on and what that means and stuff. So I missed a little bit, but right at the end there, he's uh, who is it? Oliver? No, I, I the characterization is not as good as. Um, because uh, they're all dudes and they're all seventy or seventies rent. Yeah, they're also yeah, they're all seventies dudes, which kind of makes them have a lot of a little bit together. There's a lot yeah. of sex in this book, um, which also makes it not very SFE. Um, not that you, you don't have that. Well, that was that was kind of that was kind of cutting edge back then. Yeah, for, uh, I, I think for the science fiction genre, um, you know. Oh man, they're uh, they're they're talking about drugs and they're talking about sex mm-hmm. and I mean you know if you were raised on um, uh, pulp sci-fi from the 40s and 50s uh, you didn't see that stuff too much you know this was cutting edge at the time. I, I mm. I've got this section here. Um, this morning my faith wavered only for an instant, but it was a frightening instant. An abyss of uncertainty opened beneath me. After so many months of wholehearted assurance, and I saw devils with pitchforks and heard the shrill laughter of Satan, I was coming in from the fields, and I happened to look far across that flat, scrubby land to the place where Timothy and Oliver lie. And unexpectedly, a thin, scratchy voice in my head asked me, Do you think you've gained anything here? How can you be sure? How can how certain are you that it is possible to have that the thing that you seek? I knew... I knew a moment of awful fear in which I imagined I stared with red-rimmed eyes into the icy future. Now, this image is actually at the beginning, too, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but this image of the desert not being a desert, but rather being like one of the poles, the Arctic or the Antarctic. Um the icy future, seeing myself wither and shrivel and turn to dust in an empty, blasted world. The moment of doubt then left me as uh, suddenly as it had come. Perhaps it was just a vagrant gust of unfocused discontent blowing idly across the continent towards the Pacific that had paused briefly to unsettle me. I was shaken by what I had undergone, and I ran to the house, meaning to find Ned and tell him about it. But by the time I neared his room, the episode seemed too ridiculous to share with him. Do you think you've gained anything here? How could I have doubted at all? All strange, uh, a strange backsliding, comma, Eli. So he's talking to himself, right? His door was open. I looked in and I saw him sitting slumped, his head in his hands. Somehow he sensed my presence. He looked up quickly. Why has he got his head in his hands? Rearranging his face, replacing a transient look of despair or dejection with a carefully bland expression. Uh Oh, God. (laughs) But but his eyes were bright with strain, and I thought I saw a glitter of incipient tears. You felt it too then, I asked. 
spelled what? Almost defiantly. <laughs> oh, God. He goes there to confess to his friend. His friend's feeling the same thing. And he says, you felt it too then? No, no, I didn't feel it. What are you talking about? <laughs> nothing, nothing. An airy shrug. How can you be sure? That's the, the voice in italics, the voice of doubt. We were playing games with one another, pretending. But doubt was, ge- was, doubt was general that morning, an infection running through both of us. How certain are you that it is possible to have the thing that you seek? I felt a wall rising between him and me, preventing me and telling uh, him the fears I had felt. Or from him asking why he had seemed so distraught. I left him and went to my room to bathe and afterward to breakfast. Ned and I sat together but said little. Our morning session with Frater Anthony was due to follow, but I felt somehow that I should not go, and when I had eaten, I returned instead to my room. Do you think you've gained anything here? It's still with him, right? In confusion, Mm -hmm. I knelt before the great mosaic work skull mask on my wall, staring at it within blinking eyes, and then it starts changing into the faces of everybody, right? Um... I'm going to skip down here. Uh, she vanished, and in her place came the sullen girl in the Oklahoma motel. And then the heavy-breasted succubus, who had floated past <laughs> me in the night in Chicago. I heard the shrill laughter again, rising from the abyss, and I wondered if I would have another of those moments of devastating doubt. Do you think you have gained anything here? Suddenly, Dr. Nicolescu peered down at me, gray-faced, sad-eyed, shaking his head, accusing me in his mild self-deprecatory way of having treated him unkindly. I made no denials, but neither did I wince nor look away, for my guilt had been taken from me. I kept my weary eyelids open, staring at him until he was gone. How certain are you that that it is possible to have the thing you seek? Ned's face came, Timothy's again, Oliver's, and then my own. The face of Eli himself, the prime instigator of the journey, the feckless leader of the receptacle. Do you think you've gained anything here? I studied my face, deplored its flaws, seized control of it, retrogressed to plump, pasty-faced boyhood, then then brought it forward in the time to the present to the new and unfamiliar Eli of the House of Skulls, and went beyond that Eli to another I had never seen before. So then he... He uh, freaks out, goes outside, um, looks up, sees a, a bird, a hawk, a giant hawk in the blue sky, right? And then he's back to the end here. I'll just read the end. Of this, I have no doubt. I turn. Uh, there's the hawk. I'll, I'll read that part too. Looking up, I saw a huge hawk circling far above me, dark against the fierce blank blueness. Hawk, you will die, and I will live. Of this, I have no doubt. I have turned the corner and came to the room where our meetings with Frater Antony are held. The Frater and Ned were already there, but evidently they had waited for me, for the Frater's pendant still hung around his neck. Ned smiled at me, and Frater Antony nodded. I understand, they appeared to be saying. I understand. These storms will come. I knelt beside Ned. Frater Antony removed his pendant and placed the tiny jade skull on the floor before us. Life eternal we offer here, oh, we offer thee. Let us turn to the interior vision upon the symbol we see here, says Frater Antony, gently. Yes, yes, joyously, expectantly, undoubtingly, I gave myself anew to the skull and its keepers. That's fucking horror story ending, right? <laughs> yeah, boom, and then it ends. And, and what, I, what I like about it, what I appreciate about, appreciate 
appreciate about the whole thing is as much as it is uh, sort of a disquisition on existentialism, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's not necessarily uh, prescribing it, it's describing mm-hmm. it. At the, at, the, at the end of all this, the question is left, um, uh, was it all worth it? Do you really think you're going to get what you came for? And he goes through that uh, uh, period of doubt and torture that you mentioned, but then ultimately comes out of it and says, um, I, re- I believe, I believe, I reject your victory. Yep. Um, and, but, it, but it's still left at the end, like we don't know if it, if it is that cult that you described or if it's, you know, the science fiction part of it is is a, a definite part of the story that he ha- they actually do get eternal life. Are these guys twenty five thousand years old, or are they just a bunch of sixty and seventy year old nuts? We don't know, and we never find out. And at the uh, end of the book, there's an afterward, and uh, Robert Silverberg answers the question in there. Oh, um, I don't know. Ooh, I don't I have, that have that in my book. <laughs> what does he say? What does he yeah, say? What does he say? Well, they, the they, they, they ask him, was it, was it a cult? Did they, did they really get eternal life? And Silverberg goes, uh, I don't know. You'll have to ask Ned and Eli. I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, wow. oh. That's actually the best answer, right? Because ambiguity, yeah. right? Yeah, but, uh, but, but I think what he was doing was, uh, I mean, the whole thing definitely uh, uh, tells you about the path of, of existentialism and how at the end, like any faith, mm. It's faith, you know, you, you don't, you just don't know. And you just have to, uh, you just have to believe that you've achieved your authenticity. You just have to believe that you've gotten your eternal life. You just have to believe you've gotten your salvation and that you're going to heaven. You know, no matter what your uh, philosophical or theological beliefs are, that's what they are. They're beliefs. You know, we don't have the proof and thus the word faith. And that that's what it's all about. And, and, it, it, it was set. It was set uh, so much in the '70s that it's uh, it's almost hard to to get the point of it uh, in today's culture. But um, if you can get past that, I think it's I think it's a really good read. It's really interesting if you have any kind of philosophical uh, bent or a, any kind of uh, attention to the ultimate questions. Uh, I think this is a, uh, as good as any. Uh, treatment of those questions i don't know if any if anybody who's reading it today who's really you know into being outraged would be able to get through to the end of the book there's so many problematic oh, scenes and then you know the revelation oh I, yeah i raped my sister it's like what the fuck <laughs> um this is the kind of uh, sort of oh, no uh, you didn't yeah i mean the, it's a it's it's what i like about it is it's completely free of any of those concerns, like like, well, I, I this might be a problem if I if I write this and then it gets turned into a movie, it's not going to sell, right? He doesn't. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not that's, trying that's, to make it a movie. He's making a book. Yeah, well, that that was what the cultural attitude was back then. I mean, you know, it was uh, uh, sounds corny, but it was it was all you know, uh, uh, total freedom and individuality, mm. and uh, you know, uh, uh, free love and free sex. It wasn't right. dangerous back then in the same way that it's dangerous today. And it was just a, a very much uh, less apologetic culture. Everybody was who they were, and that's it, damn it. And that, there was uh, one review I read that, that you know, it was, it was not 
crazy or anything, but it it did say you know make the point that well this isn't the only way to practice homosexuality. <laughs> like I, okay, but uh, I mean I I don't think Silverberg was gay. Maybe he was bi or he's still alive. I guess we could ask him. <laughs> um, but uh, in in I think it's it's fairly for a um a book from 1972, which is the year I was born. Um, I think it's it's a fairly um, friendly, gay-friendly book. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, once again, it's another thing uh, in in within the story that he was presenting uh, that uh, he's uh, describing it, uh, not advocating for it. You know, it's just a. And he's not shy about it, and he's not ashamed of it, but he's not uh, not putting it forth on any, you know, uh, he's not pounding the pulpit about it either. You know, yeah, that is an interesting point. I don't think I felt that it, at any point. I never felt it, uh, preached to. Oh, no, it's the opposite. Which I think is right? what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, he's just explaining that there's these dudes, and this is how they act, and this is what they think. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw somebody else's review saying, Who's telling this story? Like, whoa, 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 these are these are the internal thoughts of the characters, right? Sort of written down, but they're not actually keeping a journal. There's no external narrator, right? Right. Um, and, and they're and not while confessing. There's a confession, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a confession, but they're not confessing every single thought that they have, especially when they're snarking on each other, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. The, the way the way each of them thinks about the other and how they get it. Right and also wrong, even though they've been together for a while. It's, it's an interesting psychological study of how people see themselves and then how people actually see themselves inside. I mean, having four, have, having four narratives like that allows you to have that sort of uh, inside and outside view of each character. Yeah, it was cool, too, because uh, uh, you didn't get the idea that they were buddies either. You know, I mean, they were... They were roommates at college, and they were all in the same uh, cultural milieu and same basic age and uh, on the same quest. But I didn't get the idea that they liked each other very much, or in, or they were pretty ambivalent. You know, they weren't buddies. Do you get that feeling? Yeah, I, and I think sure. that uh, one of the one of the criticisms I feel, and also I've seen other people say, is like it's hard to distinguish between the characters when they're not talking about themselves right when they're talking about the others was it's one of the other three guys <laughs> it's like this guy's <laughs> like this and obviously yeah. that's not all the way through but i especially felt it, it as an audiobook you know you get the name at the beginning and then you've got uh stefan rudnick he's a he's an excellent narrator but he doesn't throw four different male voices at you right Right. And so mm-hmm. if you had four different actors doing the different voices, it'd be easier to distinguish. It just says, you know, chapter 21, Timothy. And then that that name, tw- Timothy's gone from my mind for the rest of the chapter. Uh, right. And I sort of infer who's talking. But I think that mm-hmm. actually works in a certain sense because they're all the same guy, right? In a certain sense. They're all just... M- Men aspects of the same guy. Yeah, aspects of, and that's why that skull thing <laughs> shows up at the end with all the faces in it, um, yeah. and mm-hmm. and the symbol of the skull and all the skulls are at the skull house, right? Um, is you know without the flesh on it, it's just a skull. We don't see. Oh, that's grandma and that's grandpa and there's little Sally who died very young, right? Well, we can tell it's little Sally because her skull's small, 
<laughs> you just say it's a skull, it's a skull, it's a skull. But each of those skulls had a face. And yep. it, it's a very, very nice symbol. I think he's working very much on a... Uh, uh, this is one of those. Uh, I, I have a student right now whose job it is to interpret uh, uh, some novel uh, using novel. what's that? What's that, that stuff called? That stuff called? Uh, Freudian analysis. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's reading somebody else's Freudian analysis of the book, and I'm like, okay, this is all bullshit, but I'll just translate this for you. And it's it's really simple ideas, right? Interesting ideas, but couched in all this flowery metaphor. What I think this is really good is for is that he has picked the right symbol for uh, this I- immortality, and he's also made it, uh, you know, ooh, it's it's not immortality in heaven, right, where you get to live forever yep. in a in a in a fancy house and have Jesus over for breakfast every morning. Uh, you uh, you it's it's a kind of horror immortality. It's like. Okay. So. Yeah, it's like it's like you can go through all this and 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 go through your quest and and do all the whatever ritualistic weirdness has to be done uh, for yourself or for whatever is outlined for you, and you get to the end of it and you have you you've got what you were seeking, but you're still in the friggin' desert now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all that satisfying. I think was part of that point. Yeah, and and also the ending. Um, this is the word that or the phrase that came up for me is the like. Oh, they're in too deep now, right? <laughs> and um, yeah. it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? This is why people yes. stay in in uh, cults. Mm. It's like, oh my God, I spent twenty five years of my life on this, and that's <laughs> that's what this is about. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. too late to change. <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah, keep I wanted, going. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I, I wanted to see. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, eating spicy vegetarian meals in this out-of-the-way compound forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I wanted to say on the skull, um, as a, a good, you know, thing on Silverberg's part as a symbol of that, mm-hmm. you know, that's a really old thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this thing called Memento Mori. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that? I got one right here. Yeah, so, turn. yeah, so what it is, that's just a, it's a, I think it's from medieval times where, um, you know, somebody may put a skull or something on their on their desk, and the the purpose of it is to um, contemplate your mortality. Yep, make every moment count. Right, right, yep. and that that's the effect that it's supposed to have, right? Yep. You know, yep. we all have skulls under under our faces, isn't that what uh, I think that was a line in this yep. book as well? It is. Yeah. Yep. We carry that with us, and contemplating right. that is one of the mysteries of this cult. Yeah, the fact that and we carry the death within us. Right, right. That's, that's from at Hamlet the beginning too, of Lent. Right? Every at the beginning of Lent every year, um, Catholics put ashes on their foreheads, mm-hmm. and they say, uh, "From dust you came, and to dust you shall return." You know, so it's the it's the same thing—a contemplation of that. Uh, also, um, Halloween and uh, the, the Mexican the celebrations. Dead, yeah. yeah, so yeah, the Day of the Dead. I mean, it's it's candy skulls. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a right. one time a those year. Are great, those are great, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> I, I, that that scene is also um, in Hamlet, right? The uh, I knew yeah, him Horatio right. scene where he he's in the graveyard and he says, "This is oh, this is my friend, right? I kissed these that lips. I friend, love this right. guy. Uh, he used to carry me around on his back. Oh, right? great a work as man and all that yeah, stuff. And, yeah, and 
and of course that's that's a kind of similar um i'm on a <laughs> i'm on a horror train come with me <laughs> ophelia yeah. how's it going right <laughs> sorry ophelia thought, you jump out the window now right right i thought it was excellent how um silverberg did you know during those confession things mm-hmm. um you know so so they had two people had to fall away and two people could move forward and then um to set it up that way and say okay everybody's got to confess to each other um you know that that line of four confessions that then spurred that stuff to happen the sacrifice and the murder right yeah. mm-hmm. i thought that was so well done that was really yeah I was, I was wondering uh through the entire book and i can see we're getting near the end i was wondering yeah. you know how's this gonna who's who's gonna be killed who's gonna kill themselves and it, it like gets all the way there and then uh, uh the ending comes pretty comes up on you pretty quick it's kind of a yeah, shocking thing but but yeah the way he introduced it to the the whole confession thing was that was pretty mm-hmm. sharp mm-hmm. Pretty yeah sharp. it was sharp it, it worked for me it really did yeah i, I mean to build on what you said wayne even throughout the entire book the characters themselves are running okay how is this going to work how are we going to who's going to die how is that going to happen and and then suddenly, yeah, when the, when the confession when the confessions come up, yeah, then things weren't open to overdrive in the finale. Like, wham! Okay, yeah. that's how it would happen. Yeah, and then you look <laughs> back on that; it's like Oliver was the was the one. You know, you should be sure that was going to survive. He was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm yep. taking this. I'm living forever, and I can't wait. Yeah, you know, that's how he was at the beginning. Yeah, I I had counted that Eli character as being the the one that was going to kill himself. You know, mm-hmm. because he he was such a such a neurotic, uh, nebbish <laughs> through, the, yeah. through the whole thing. And they, I, that's I, what the char- other characters thought as well. I mean, they 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 were convinced. They I, mean, I like how they all were trying to game this out and how how their expectations went uh, awry. I, it was it was a nice bit, bit of uh, character misperception on their part. Yeah. I um I want to compare this book to a couple others. Um, there's one by Lawrence Block that uh, I, I I think I've read pretty much every book by Lawrence Block that now oh, oh it's not true okay it's not true there's a bunch of uh his porn books that I haven't read there's um a few of his <laughs> he wrote a ton of books right um there's a few of his um crime books that I'm missing like I don't I don't think I've read every Dortmunder book. But I've read most most everything he's written and, and almost every standalone book. Um, but there's one, there's a few that stand out as like they're just kind of weird for him, you know. There's one called Ariel, which is about a, uh, it's kind of a haunted house story, um, sorta. And then there's this one that stands out is kind of very different from his others. It's called Random Walk, um, and I'll just read the somebody's Goodreads um, summary. Uh, in Roseburg, Oregon. A bartender walks off his job and heads east with no destination in mind. The cascades are in his way, but he doesn't let that stop him. He keeps walking, and other people are moved to join him. And as they walk, the group generates a sort of collective energy, and unexpected things happen. Miraculous things, you might say. Meanwhile, in Kansas, a perfectly respectable real estate professional loses his temper with a prostitute and surprises himself by killing her. He's even more surprised to discover that he enjoys it, as he has never enjoyed anything before. There's the Lawrence Block part. <laughs> He's just, he just makes really evil characters, and then they're in confrontation, usually with a detective. Um, it's even more enjoyable the second time, so he puts his work 
<laughs> he puts his work on hold and his marriage and his whole life and drives around the country looking for more women to kill. Um, and so these two forces eventually come together. And and it's not the story of Jesus or anything, but it is about walking and about a road trip across the country, except by walking. And uh, Lawrence Block is a uh, he was a power walker. I don't know if he still is. Those you know you, you know what a power walker is. Those those people. No. Is it like the competition? It, well, you know? yeah, uh, but they're like um, maybe I'm saying maybe it's not power walker, but it's the kind of oh speed walking. That's what it is. Speed walking. Speed walking. Mm-hmm. They're the they're like old people who don't want to hurt their joints, but they want to compete mm-hmm. in a race. <laughs> so instead of running or jogging, right where you. You uh, try to, you know, be faster than everybody else by going at top human speed. Uh, I'd uh, like to be a, uh, I'd like to be a sports commentator at one of those races. (laughs) They actually do have races, right? Like they have numbers on them, and it's funny because you you think, well, that's silly, but actually walking is the is the normal human activity, right? Jogging is what you do when you're chasing down an animal at a leisurely pace. Right, because your uh, human hunting is, uh, you, you know, humans can run a lot longer endurance-wise than a lot of animals, but because we can sweat and they can't, a lot of animals, right? Um, but uh, you don't, you want to keep it in sight, but you don't want to actually catch it. You want it to tire itself out um, once you've already put hey, in. Don't they, don't they have supermarkets where you live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, the yeah, thing yeah, is, he's talking about. I'm, I'm talking about human physiology, out. Wayne. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I was being facetious. I, I don't think I didn't think you actually got your meals that way, Jess. Well, I do, but that, <laughs> uh, that has little to do to do with other people's experience. I, yeah, I, I uh, chase down local stray animals and and then assign, <laughs> you know dogs and cats mostly. Um, you contemplate their skulls. Uh, well, you know the skins and eat the <laughs> eat the flesh, whatever. Um, in any case, the uh, the running is like to escape a predator, right? That's our best. But walking is the main way you get places. Um, so speed walking is is it's just a way, an excuse for people who live in in uh, places where there are supermarkets to get exercise <laughs> as an activity in a group. But walking is always like associated and hiking, but especially walking is associated with thinking, right? And so this is a book called Random Walk, where a guy just starts off in a walk with no destination in mind, and then meaning comes to him. And I, I, hmm. I, I when I'm reading it, I just thought it was another Lawrence Block book, and I said, that's a weird title. Uh, <laughs> and then it turns into this <laughs> philosophical novel that uh, sort of didn't do anything at the time, but has gained it, uh, sort of interest over time. Um, there's another one that I read that's kind of similar, uh, at least in feel, to this book is called it's uh the razor's edge by w somerset mom you guys read this book no no um so it's from 1944 uh there was a um movie version with bill murray uh teresa russell and denholm elliott in the 80s and i i think it's really i saw it on hbo and i like i love bill murray and this is not a bill murray movie in the normal (laughs) sense and then uh so i'll just read the wikipedia or the uh the summary of the movie, which is not actually unfaithful to the book, which is strange because it's got Bill Murray in it. 
Um, he had everything and wanted nothing. He learned that he had nothing and wanted everything. He saved the world and then it shattered. The path to enlightenment is sharp and, and narrow as a razor's edge. So this is a, a like a World War One book. He he starts off, um, you know, he's engaged to a lady. Um, she's maybe a station above him monetary-wise, but he's friends with a co- her brother who's a college roommate or something like that, right? And then World War One happens. He goes off to war, and he experiences, uh, I guess, shell shock or something to that effect. And when he comes back, he can't marry her, and he goes on a trip to Asia, and uh, you know, does the whole I'm a yogi sort of thing. And then when he comes back, he has meaning in his life, and everyone else around him doesn't doesn't, and it it pisses everybody else off. Um, and he's very sort of enlightened. But you don't see it quite from, you know, his own internal point of view. You see it from their point of view. And it's a very interesting book. I think you'd like it, Wayne. Um, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd like the uh, the first one you described as well. I think I'd have to look that up. Yeah. I'd, I'd seen, it seems to me I've, I've read uh, some of his stuff, uh, Block. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, I can't... Uh, I can't put to put my finger on what it might have been. Uh, did he write a lot of crime novels? Oh, ton of crime novels. His main one uh, is uh, there's a couple. There's one is uh, Bernie Rodenbar books, which are comedic crime novels of a uh, uh, burglar who also a bookstore owner. And then there's a oh, uh, but he thought he was uh, uh, burglar who thought he was Bogart. Yeah, or that's something. one is of that, them. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, think I remember reading that. That's a good book. Um, there's uh, another character he has his name is blanking um it was turned into a bunch of movies as well eight million ways to die is one of the movies um, um what the hell is it did they have a picture of him on the back of his paperbacks oh, yeah. uh with a big white mustache and uh, like uh smoking a pipe or he's usually or just... he's usually bald uh on the back of his his or he's wearing a beret but he does have a mustache, and he's pr- he's probably okay. white now. <laughs> yeah. uh, Matt Scudder—that's that. the name of the the series, and the Matt Scudder series of books has been turned into a few movies, including um, *A Walk Among the Tombstones* was a, a movie recently. I did a show on that one with Misa. Paul, were you on that? No, I was not. I on think that it might have been exactly. just me and Misa. It's a br- it, it, Block is really good at brutal, and Scott, you've read some Block. I have, yeah. Yeah, he's really good at, yeah. at bringing you close to the characters and then being very brutal. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good at that. Yeah, very. Um, Liam Neeson played Block, Block's uh, hero in A Walk Among the Tombstones, 2014. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's per- the, the later Neeson, the later Neeson action movies. That makes perfect sense. He played some. Yeah, it's a, it's a not as much character. an action movie as it is. A, you know, it's a he's a good cop who's not a cop. Um, who's got it all, yeah, Block also had a alcoholism problem early in his career that he got over, um, and then he started writing this character, uh, Scudder, who's, who's, uh, NAA, um, and then, you know, he's, sometimes he lapses or whatever, but the main thing is, he, he's got a sort of a philosophy behind him, which is, I can't change other people, I just gotta be a good person. Um, but of course, he does have to change other people by putting bullets in them occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
That's a lot of people have that question. <laughs> yeah, there, I, you know. it's, a, it's a problem a few people have. But Razor's Edge is, I don't even know how I ended up reading it because it's not the sort of book I would normally read. But but I guess it's because it's such an early, it's from 1944, and it feels like it's about uh, World War II, but it's actually set during the wor- World War One. But it, it is so much about uh, existentialism and like when you've seen your your buddy's head exploded by a shell and you can't find his anything but his boots um what does that do to you it, it sort of gets yeah. you a sense of uh hmm maybe you not as all right with existence and uh yeah and and then bringing these ideas of um of the east and buddhism and all that stuff about you know how to deal with with the problems of life in a world uh such as ours is uh is unusual, and I think that that's what this book is dealing with in the exact same way. It, it fits in these this sort of weird category, although there's no mysticism other than you know re- regular Buddhist mysticism or whatever in the Razor's Edge. Random Walk has uh, some meaning uh, that seems co- coincidental, I guess, but it's there's not a lot of mystical powers or anything. So they they all sort of fit in the same category, but uh, I mean, it really. I think, oh, I'll have to check those out. They they really do sound interesting. Yeah, I think so. you'd like them. Um, uh, but uh, this book, like I was I was thinking, is there anything in here that is proof of any kind of fantastic element? And I think the only thing you could say is, well, they have had they have old stuff at this place from Mesoamerica, right? So maybe that's not proof of anything. No, it's not good proof, right? I mean, yeah, and they talk and they talk about Atlantis, but there's no actual proof there was an Atlantis. I mean, this 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 novel is so 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 un SFnal that it's I on mean, the it's, razor's it's, it's, edge, right? Between it's on the razor's exactly, edge, exactly between reality and and something beyond. And well, it does make me think of a lot of. It makes me think of, and and Scott will perk up his ears at this because he started mm-hmm. reading. It reminds me of a Paul Anderson novel, Boat of a Million Years, mm. which was written in the early 1980s, which is about a real set of people who, for reasons they don't understand, are immortal in aging. They just don't mm. die. And what a couple of the characters do actually try to explore various beliefs to try to figure out, well, what does this all mean? And it, 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 it was one of the, actually ironically, one of the first Paul Anderson novels I read. And it's one I really, really like. And it is that, it is an audio book, Jesse, oh. just, just saying. I, I, I've had mixed <laughs> success with uh, Anderson. I know, I know, but Scott has, Scott has enjoyed the Anderson we've <laughs> had so far. So, you know, mm-hmm, I'm, just put, mm-hmm. I'm just putting up the wolf like I think there. I might've read it a mm-hmm. long time ago. It sounds, it sounds really familiar. I, uh, I, I have a section I want to read from the end of chapter nine, but, uh, I, I also feel like I'm as usual trying to dominate everything. Sorry about that guys. <laughs> You're, you're the you're 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 the head of this little cult that you've sucked us into true. here, Jesse. That's right. I'm the fr- <laughs> I'm the frater Anthony. Uh, it's, okay, now you guys go off into the desert and bury your friend. <laughs> I'm not going to no. do it. I'll, I'll supervise. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, go for it. Read read that section. Uh, well, go I was ahead. just thinking, like that. Like, do you remember the part where they're they're almost at the the place and they they ask. Uh, a couple of locals um, 
who, where is this place? And they find a, a, a librarian or some guy who's who wants who keeps track of the local cults. And he says, Yeah, oh, yeah, they, yeah, they go to the newspaper office, right. and the newspaper office says, You should talk to this guy. And so he they wasn't go in right away, so they find him eventually. And then he says, Oh, yeah, I haven't heard much of them lately, but um, on your way back, please stop in and tell me what's going on up there. They're never coming back, yeah. right? Dangling pop, pop ride, yes. <laughs> and the, and their car is out uh, at the end of this road, and they're gonna have to deal with that. And I was just thinking, mm-hmm. like the not touching, you know, not being involved in the burying, right? It's almost like when the cops come looking for the fa- the rich kid, uh, the rich kids, um, you know, ba- they say, "Where? What happened to our son?" Um, he went off with the friends. The friends were last seen in Arizona. Their their vehicle's been sold, and you know is is in a used parking lot there. They're gonna track down track them down. They come out to the. Uh, this is what happens after the book, right? They come out down to the um, the uh, house of skulls, and then they knock on the door and say, uh, "Have you got a, a four kids here? And their names are blah 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 blah." And it's well, we have two. <laughs> they come out, they interview them. <laughs> and I said, what happened? Well, uh, uh, one of them killed himself, and the other one, uh, we... Oh, shit. <laughs> Just, like, it's almost like uh, it, 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 keeping those hands off, right? And we're just a, you know, Christian monastery sort of thing. Um, it, it's interesting. It's interesting, like, they're, they're sure, they're practicing their their techniques, which is basically just how to not let your semen shoot out <laughs> so you can keep going. Uh, an admirable, an admirable question. Yeah. And like what are the ladies doing there? They're not mentioned in the book, right? What's with the women? Is there a whole other book of skulls for women? Uh, we don't know. It's not an issue. We don't, uh, I, I feel like there could be a whole other book. Like, just you know, it's four ladies on a road trip. They go to a, uh, a New Mexico place, and and then they have an exchange, right? <laughs> Every once in a while, the nuns go over to the brother's house, and the brothers go over to the nuns' house, and I don't know what the hell's going on because we don't see. Like I, I thought maybe eventually, you know, we would get a jump forward in time and see them, see them in, you know, it's like the year two thousand seven hundred. Right, and he said, "Well, mm. porridge again for breakfast." <laughs> uh, well, no, no, no. Well, the no, sky I'm car is think... going over lately. Have you noticed that? <laughs> well, not even sky cars. Oh, think about, um, think about a canticle for Leibowitz, mm-hmm. and how we have a character oh, yeah. in 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 the first section who ostensibly is immortal and has been putting around the desert since long before the nuclear apocalypse. Mm. He does eventually die. Yeah, and it's like, can you can you imagine this little this little monk, this little cell of immortals trying to survive after a civilization has fallen, and they're inadvertently the keepers of knowledge and culture because they they've lived long enough, they've held stuff long enough, they remember stuff. That's a great idea for a science fiction novel. <laughs> come to think of it, <laughs> quick, edit that out, Jesse. Save it. Don't let anybody steal it. <laughs> now, if it, no, if, it's, if some listener of Science Fiction wants to take that idea before I do, go ahead. But, you know, there's there's possibilities here that the novel... I, I mean, we're talking about 
this novel's on the razor's edge of science fictional ideas, but maybe it's over the line because we're, we keep thinking of all this other science fictional stuff that the novel might engender and what it, what it relates to, because I mean, I mean, if you think about it, immortality is one of the great things that man has been seeking about. I mean, there are Larry Niven stories about it. There's, there's, mm-hmm. Go, go all the way back to Gilgamesh. It, it's the flip side of death, right? You, it's the flip side of death. Yeah. The, what, 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 I forgot the exact name because like whether whether they talk around campfires or sail among the stars, every being talks about the men who live forever. Mm. I think mm-hmm. it's it's just one of the Draco Cavern stories. I don't have the exact quote, but basically the alien saying like every species in the universe talks about death and how to avoid it, no matter how advanced they are. So. I, I was telling a student yesterday um, when we were doing Lovecraft story, and we go through the vocab, and I, I usually tell, uh, if I can remember, the when I first encountered a word, if you know how it struck me, because um, this is sort of the, my technique for them is is you have to make a story for every vocab word, so that you can think of what it means to you, right? Sort of attach meaning to to these words if if you don't know the etymology or something right so the word ephemeral when i first learned that word i think it was a doctor who uh fifth doctor episode where there's these space aliens who are having a uh, solar sail race around i don't know a bunch of planets and the captains of the ship are all immortals and the crew are uh i think ephemerals is what they called them so the vocab word ephemeral, right? And I was like, what the fuck's ephemeral mean? Oh, turns out <laughs> it means thing that doesn't last very long. And I say, it's like, well, the book of skulls I'm holding in my hand, this this book's lasted 46, 7, 8 years, right? And then there's going to be other things like newspapers. They don't really last more than a day, right? Nothing less valuable than a three-day-old newspaper. Right? Yeah. And uh, so that idea of a thing that doesn't last very long, as opposed to a thing that lasts a very long time, right? So the the symbol of of, of the skull as a symbol for immortality. Uh, one of the things I was thinking when I saw all those skulls, <laughs> I say saw, when I'm reading about all these skulls in the audiobook, and there's like there's a skull there and the skull there and they they all have their tongue sticking up. I was thinking those are all the idiots who came to the skulls. <laughs> they just built. <laughs> they got all these skulls yeah. of idiots over the centuries. People come yeah, to the cult and sacrifice themselves because all, two for every four, right? into it. Two for every four uh, yeah. who show up get to be skulls. Yeah, right. well that makes that makes sense. Where the hell else would they have come from, right? Yeah. Now that you think mm. of it. And yet I got the sense that the monks were happy that the foursome showed up because it had been such a long time. I think it's because they're imagine. so fucking bored. It's like, finally, yeah, somebody <laughs> knows something about the outside world. Yeah, somebody new to talk to has got to be the most precious gift these monks could possibly have because they've been stuck in their same society for decades without anybody new or anybody stumbling upon them. And then suddenly... Suddenly, suddenly, these four kids show up. Sure, they're callow, stupid kids, but at least they're somebody different. Is Clark Gable still making movies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, ow! <laughs> That's what they're saying, right? <laughs> to the guys at the at the 
breakfast uh, table. That 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 reminds that reminds me of uh, Avengers: Infinity War when when uh, when Chris Chris Pratt's uh, Star Lord shows up on Earth and starts talking with Spider Man. It's like it's it they start talking about Footloose because that was that's what he remembered from thirty years ago when he was last on Earth. And this Spider-Man says, no, Footloose is not good. It's And Iron Man's just rolling his eyes because, yeah, because because uh, Star-Lord's uh, pop culture references are so out of date and the culture is just so moved on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they mm-hmm. did. Didn't they do a, a Footloose remake? I think they did. Did they? I think so. Oh, God. They I did. Just, just, they did. Which is, cr- which is crazy, right? Because that, <laughs> that doesn't get mentioned in the movie because <laughs> it's a flop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that should that should have been an ephemeral thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is so much of its time. Uh, I, I haven't seen it since the '80s, but I remember thinking you know, that and Flashdance. Remember Flashdance? There, yeah. there was a thing yeah. in the '80s that they were doing mm-hmm. that they're sort of done with. But now we have like cheerleader movies, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, Bring It On or whatever they're called. Uh, Turn it up. <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah. cheerleading <laughs> competition movies. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to read this section. This is from um, uh, the end of chapter nine, uh, which is by Ned, but that doesn't really matter. Um, I am the Richard Nixon of the automobile. Tense, overeager, bumptious. There's a nice vocab word. Forever miscalculating, apologizing, ultimately incompetent. Wow, this is 1972. <laughs> Despite this, his handicaps of the soul, Nixon became president. Despite my lapses of coordination and attention, I have a driver's license. Eli has a theory that all American males can be divided into two moities. Those capable of driving and those who cannot drive. The former being suitable only for breeding and manual labor. The latter embodying the true genius of the race. <laughs> he regards me as a traitor to the clerisy. Another high-level vocab word. Because I know which foot to put on the brake and which on the accelerator. But I think after experiencing an hour of my driving, he's begun to revise his harsh placement of me. I am no driver. I am merely masquerade. Oh, I merely masquerade. Timothy's Lincoln Continental is like a bus to me. I oversteer. And, of course, a Lincoln Continental from 1972? That is a fucking oh, boat, yeah. man. That's, yeah, that's a boat. That's yeah. a that's huge a big vehicle. Car. You could put four four dead bodies in the trunk, not just two. Um, I oversteer, I, I, I wobble. Give me a VW and I'll show him my stuff. Oliver, never a good passenger, eventually lost his nerve and told me he'd take over the wheel again. There he sits now, our golden charioteer, flogging us towards sundown. Nice. Now, this is the part that got me. This is the sort of thing that uh, I think, Paul, you said he was a writer's writer something like yes. that that's this is the thing writers writers do all the time and they do it not for themselves they, they do it for their friends <laughs> and also you know readers who i guess are act you know not casual readers this is so funny a book i was reading not long ago drew a structural metaphor of society from an ethnographic film about some african bushman out hunting a giraffe they had wounded one of the big beasts with their poisoned arrows. And now, hey, this is probably hitting yep. that metaphor I was talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. They, they had wounded on one of the big beasts with their poisoned arrows, but now they had to follow their prey across the bleak Kalahari, chasing him until he dropped, which would take a week or more. 
There were four of them, bound in tight alliance, the headman, the leader of the hunting unit, the shaman, the craftsman, and magician, who invoked supernatural aid when needed and otherwise served as a conduit between the divine charisma and the realities of the desert. The hunter, or the beautiful one, famous for his grace, speed, and strength, physical strength, who bore the hardest burdens of the hunt. Lastly, the clown, small and freaky, who mocked the mysteries of the shaman, the beauty and strength of the hunter the self-importance of the headman. These four constituted a single organism, each essential to the whole of the chase. From this, the writer developed the polarities of the group, invoking a couple of Yatesian counter-rotating gyres. Shaman and clown are the left gyre, ideational, and hunter and headman are the right gyre, operational. Each gyre realizes possibilities inaccessible to the other. Each is in use. Uh, each is useless without the other, but together they form a stable group in which all the skills are balanced. Onward from there to develop the ultimate metaphor, rising from the tribal to the national. The headman becomes the state, the hunter becomes the military, the shaman becomes the church, and the clown becomes art. We carry the macrocosm in this car. Timothy, our headman, Eli, our shaman, Oliver, our beautiful one, uh, our hunter and I the clown and I the clown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see what he did there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so clever. I love it when authors do that when they basically give you a summary of the book that <laughs> you're reading I, yeah. in their book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But here, here, here's what we have here, kids. This, in case you missed all the metaphors, here, here it is for you. I was reading this book lately, and I'll tell you how shitty it was. I love that <laughs> authors tell, just tell you what they're doing. It's like, this is some other book. has nothing to do with this. Right? Just by the way. And uh, how, who ends up alive at the end? It's uh, Oliver. Uh, is yep. it Ned? I think it's... Yeah, think it's Ned and, Ned Ned and, and uh, Eli, right? And Eli. Oh, yeah, and Eli, right. Sorry, right. And, right. And, and, and what do they represent? The two characters, Ned and Eli. Eli is the shaman. He's the religion, right? And Ned is the art. Art. Yep. And what's gone is... The, the leadership the hunt- and the hunter, yeah. Yeah. Right? The uh, national, the state... Um, and The military, uh, yeah. The, so they've given up. They've given up the things that connect them to the outside and they've just become um a clown and a a shaman and a shaman oh people who who people thinking who are who live in the mind and and so are more perfectly suited to stay within the confines of that meditating all day long yeah right i mean that i mean they're not going to be the ones that necessarily want to go outside and uh go travel the world for 30 years, write a book and do all this and that all, all, all the plans that I think it was, uh, Timothy that had for, for his, uh, next century. I mean, Ned and Eli, Ned and Eli can stay there forever. And that makes sense. Yeah. Excellent point. I, I think that's a, to bring it back to existentialism. That's a, that's a very existentialist end in view, uh, where what remains is the, the, the shaman and uh, the clown, you know, the church and, and art. It's, it's uh, the, the 
speculative and self-expressing uh, parts of identity. That's what remain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, I think it was um, who was the original uh, Christian existentialist? Um, Anselm or uh, no? Uh, the other, Kier- the other Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard. Oh, okay. He he was he was all about um, as uh, you know he was a, th- a theologian um, and a Christian, but he still had his problems with the church. He didn't want the church um, uh, defining people and giving them their identity. And uh, the the church wasn't uh, something that, from which he wanted to get his essence. He wanted to, he wanted his existence, his personal identity to triumph over that. So he, uh, he's, he's like considered the, uh, the, uh, the father of existentialism because that's, mm. that's kind of a core, uh, uh, value throughout the whole thing and it, it's uh, it's very well expressed by by that last paragraph that you read sounds like you're even more better versed in existentialism than me but i i did i i didn't say it earlier but it almost sounds like like w- way you were describing it that existentialism is an actual philosophy uh, oh it is, absolutely with, it is with absolutely. a with a with a point of here is the answer but actually it's the opposite right it's a philosophy well, well, it, saying it's, it, here is a way towards answer no it's it's, than, it's about we we all have to get make our own answers yeah that's, uh, that's what i mean right is yeah. is that it's not it's not that you know you follow this philosophy and uh and then you'll be satisfied it's like damn this shit is hard and uh god damn it we got to find something to do yeah well, well my, that, my, my favorite that has meaning my favorite uh, existentialist uh, uh, philosopher is uh, Albert Camus, French mm-hmm. guy. Um, he said a, a, a lot of really clever things. Um, uh, one of his uh, uh, pictures that he used to illustrate what he thought existence and life was all about, he used uh, the myth of, uh, of Sisyphus, who's a, mm-hmm. a figure from Greek myth. And what he Sisyphus was about was... Uh, uh, he did something, I forget what, to displease the gods. So he, he was condemned to his, his existence was, uh, uh re- reduced to, yeah, reduced to rolling this huge rock to the top of a, of a mountain. And once he got there, it would, it would go, roll back down and he'd have to start all over again. And that's what Camus thought, uh, the uh, life was all about, you know, it, is, it's just point, pointless. Pointless, futile <laughs> labor, uh, but um, you do it anyway. You know, you don't give up. You you find your own meaning and your own reason and define your own existence anyway. You you don't fall into, um, you know. He, he wrote some novels, uh, right? Oh yeah, uh, the stranger and uh, I think the stranger might have been. Was it the rebel? The stranger? It's the rebel a novel. Yeah, I think he did the stranger. Uh, and there's another one called The Fall. Mm. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, clever thing that um, he said. I'm sure he didn't mean it in the way I took it, but um, Camus was famous for a, uh, a statement where he said, uh, philosophy has left uh, mankind with one thing yet to consider, and uh, that is suicide. So, yeah. 
whenever oh, I yeah, get, he's whenever not a, I get a uh, whenever I get like a, a a spam email or something, I I quote <laughs> that I, I quote that paragraph and I go, you know, Camus said the only thing left to us to consider is suicide, and I really hope you consider it. <laughs> <laughs> they they tend not to write back. <laughs> I want you to take this idea seriously. <laughs> oh God. Oh yeah. Um, he I I remember reading about him. Um, he was not. He didn't have a nice easy life. Um, oh, Sisyphus uh, or Camus? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Sisyphus is a great life. Well, he was. Sisyphus that, was a kid. Well, he's immortal, a, man. What, what else? He's got to be happy about that. Gets the well, he was, a king, he was a king in life and did some really nasty trickery, as I recall, and that pissed off Zeus, and that's why he ended up putting up the hill. I, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I seem to recall that, yeah, he kind of tricked the gods. and the Prometheus gods, got the same story, right? He, 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 he gets to live forever, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not the I, way I, you want to live forever, but... Literally henpecked. I mean, um, pecked. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what it meant, but <laughs> I know. It's really I'll, I'll grant you that, though. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Mm. So, Scott, what did you think about this? You're the you're the only practicing Catholic with us. <laughs> you gonna join this? Uh, oh yeah, I've, I'm just joined it. Yep, yep, I'm driving that way now. Okay. <laughs> you're gonna stop in uh, St. Louis to have some whore sex <laughs> no i think i'll pass on that okay yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> go by the fat burger because that's the last chance you're gonna have for some yeah. greasy food <laughs> no i found it uh, i thought it was an interesting book um this is a reread for me i read it a long time ago and um it's funny that i remember it being i remember the journey is what I remembered, you know, from like 20 years ago when I read mm -hmm. it. It's funny that I didn't remember a lot of the stuff in the monastery. Um, hmm. But, you know, to me it was like, you know, they got to the monastery at the end is how I remembered it. Um, but, yeah, I but I, I thought it was really interesting. I, I enjoyed um, a lot of the uh, inner thoughts of the characters. And like I said, you know, that confession section, that was pretty powerful stuff. And how the author used that to to get to the end there, I thought was really good. I have a feeling this actually happened um, in in a certain sense. Like, you know, the, the road trip with four mm. probably science fiction writers in a car going somewhere. <laughs> um, and there we go. them all having... That's another idea. Well, I think, I think, it, like, I think it probably really happened. Because, you know, one of the reasons the idea of a road trip exists is because it happened sometime in your youth, right? You got in the car and you drove somewhere. It's probably a very North American thing rather than a, you know, yeah, because we got the, the wider open spaces. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not what you, you know, maybe, maybe people in Europe do that too, but the, the, the fact that road trip is a kind of a genre and that the road, you know, there's that whole, uh, there's another, no, the road goes okay. ever on and yeah, on. I recently read uh, Blue Highways. Have you guys ever read that? No. No. William, William Least Heat Moon. Uh -uh. a that's a nonfiction road trip book. Yeah. I read a lot of those um, uh, Paul Theroux books. You know the travel mm. books. Yeah. Like like uh, Old Patagonia Express, mm. and I really like those. Uh, the 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 literary sort of guy who goes on a journey and 
He's not there to... Um, it's kind of like uh, Anthony Bourdain, but for, you know, books and travel. Uh, yeah. Without the food. I mean, the food's in there too, but it's, it's, it's just, you know, going on a cross-country trip by whatever method. I think there was another one he did, which was uh, Siberia, you know, train through Siberia to... And it's 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 just an interesting form of writing. Here we get a little bit of landscape, but um, mostly it's you know we even get back. Uh, I was gonna say backflashes. No, that's not what they're called. Flashbacks. Yeah, to, we get flashbacks and, and yeah, yeah, filling in, fill, fill, filling how how Eli came across the book and why and and when we get to the confessions, I mean, I'm find, find, finding out that Eli is a fraud was like oh my god that that yeah. that that killed me like oh my god your his entire life's work is actually just stolen yeah. i mean he's just yeah. he's a he's, he's a he's basically a plagiarist and really doesn't have any ideas of his own that that i i, I mean for they're, they're of, young college kids man this i is, i this is I know. tough not to be the reality right they they put all sorts of pressure on kids to do stuff that's original and that nobody could do it. That's why the, that's why when I'm reading this essay with this kid, it was for a book um, on uh, James Joyce, right? James Joyce is not somebody you should read when you're in high school. They make them read this James Joyce thing, and then they read they read the essays that are critic you know critical essays about James Joyce's thing, and they're like this flowery description of what the person is extracting from the book is all fake like i can t i can write that bullshit too it's not real good writing but it gets published and that's what they want in the ac academia so uh, i i was not surprised about that you know the kid i mean everybody has has done whatever they have to do to get good grades right uh, i used to cheat on exams all the time because <laughs> i want to not fail uh -oh. i mean i mean cheating 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 on exams, I can understand, but you know, actually just being a complete and utter fraud. I mean, just to just to deconstruct he the character we've seen. Wasn't happy about it, right? He wasn't happy about it. No, I mean, and and to spend the rest of your your uh, academic career worried about being discovered. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. 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 That's that's a sort of Damocles over your head. In some ways, Eli is lucky. I mean, he's going to be immortal in this. In this yeah, that monastery. also fits with why he doesn't want to go back, right? Yeah. This is an I mean, that 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 was his uh, his personal demon, his personal cross to bear. Each one of them had one, and that was his. And uh, for it's like a metaphor for his entire life. His mm -hmm. and if you if you uh, I mean, in his own view, and and if you uh, want to apply the existentialist. Uh, uh, Vocabulary, vocabulary to it. Uh, he, his whole life was because of that. His whole mm. life was inauthentic. You know, he, the, Eli did the murder, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can and see, that's, you can kind of see got, why, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's that's how he got his his You're threatening his, me. Don't uh, threaten my 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 escape. This is where yeah. I have to stay. And he we, he wasn't even trying to think of the he wasn't even trying to think of like. Uh, oh, this is the part of the of the ritual where uh, the receptacle kills another member of the receptacle, right? Yeah. That is not what he was thinking about. He was like, no, it, he doesn't think about it. But you're not going. I'm not letting you. Yeah, right? that and was then, that was just a side benefit. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah, a very well so, written book. Yeah, so so caught in the moment they didn't realize they was fulfilling the terms of 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 the deal. He, he was just trying to like keep things going. He didn't realize that yet. Yeah, this this is this is the act that that the ninth uh, the ninth secret, this ninth uh, thing that has to be fulfilled. He didn't even realize that he was so in the moment or just trying to keep things going that he actually fulfilled that part without even consciously thinking he was doing it. Yep. Who's, who's the rich guy? Timothy? Yeah. Timothy's the rich guy. Oliver's the, the, uh, the Midwestern. And so Timothy, who's, who's the guy who kills himself? Oliver. Oliver. Okay. And uh, the reason, the reason he did that ostensibly is, uh, because, uh, if you remember that he, in his confession, he revealed that, uh, he had a gay dalliance when mm. he was uh, a kid and mm-hmm. he'd, he'd, that it always bothered him. He'd always, uh, been, you know, ashamed of it. And, uh, what essentially he was doing was, um, denying his, his real, his authentic self and, uh, refusing to accept his, uh, what, you know, the, the fact that, that he was gay or at least worrying about it. And that in the end, uh, was why he killed himself. And, uh, that was following an episode where the Ned character Mm. was, uh, hitting on him and trying to convince him to, uh, uh, you know, go through with an, uh, uh, a liaison with him. Mm. And, and, and I don't think it was clear whether he actually went through with the liaison and killed himself because of that Mm. or, or uh, whether he just killed himself because he couldn't face that, you know. So that's uh, the non, non PC part of the book where the mm-hmm. gay, yeah. the latent homosexual kills himself out of shame, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that, so that's that not necessarily. It's not necessarily agreeing with that judgment. It's just right. stating that it happened. You know. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. but they would say, you know, they, <laughs> the people who are upset about things. <laughs> would would say that that's Silverberg's bias or whatever, right? Because these aren't real people. This is this is uh, well. Yeah, I mean that 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 was a a, a very real oh uh, yeah in very real cult- cultural attitude in those days. You know, so. Yeah, and I didn't feel that 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 was a biased thing at all. No, I thought you know just like Wayne said earlier, he's really matter of fact, you know, not preachy at all. It's 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 a very t- it would be a very tired trope today to try that. I mean, mm-hmm. in the context of 1970, oh, yeah. Yeah. I can I can give it to him. But if someone wrote that today, I would think like, come on, that's that's that that's something we, we yeah, the gay people killing themselves out of shame is yes, it happens even today in this society. But yeah, that's something that you might want to reconsider in your plot if you wrote it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I wanted to talk about Timothy because he, he was the he's the guy who's bred for richness or he's got a trust fund gets a hundred dollars a month oh no hundred dollars a week which in seventy two that's a ton of money man yeah yeah he, I, yeah I mean he can just like sit on the interest and just live yeah. a decent life without for doing... eighteen thousand years he can sit on the interest and yeah and eventually <laughs> and he was own he was the one he was the one the whole time that wanted to leave you know he he's the the least uh, enthusiastic of the four and what they're doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, because he was he's succeeding got... in the state, right? Yeah. He's, <laughs> he was he's succeeding got... in the state. And then, the, you know, the two that survived, you know, like you said, had, uh, uh, they, they were separate from the state. 
But there, he's also good. he's also a fraud. That's one of the nice things about seeing the book from the characters POV, right? Yeah. Is is that they show them all that they're all frauds, right? He he is who he is, not by anything he did, but he's still proud of it. Right. And he knows he shouldn't be proud of it, right? Like like I didn't earn that money. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> I I didn't earn this the tallness that I have. Right, and so all of the um, the this is that's why Silverberg's a good writer, right? Is he he does manage to distinguish between the characters even when they are sort of supposed to be very similar to each other. Uh, he he gets the different psychological problems each of them has, and uh, manages to put us in their position, however briefly. I mean, it's a short book. In a certain sense, right? It's only 192 pages or 191 yep. pages here. Yeah, I blew through it in two days. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I did uh, over two and a half days, I think. Yeah, same here. Nice slim volume from the 70s. That's what I, <laughs> I like. My, uh, my copy has, uh, I, I did listen to the Rudnicki version, by the way, but I do have a hard copy. Mm-hmm. And Rudnicki was fabulous, as was. always. Yeah. Um, but my uh, paperback version at the end has a preview of Robert Silverberg's eagerly awaited return to the fabulous world of Lord Valentine's Castle. Oh wow, that was such a cool, uh, such yeah. a cool series. You bet. I've so, 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 read it. So, so was the return to, return to that world? So it wasn't actually Lord. Uh, Valentine's so Castle? yeah, the, the excerpt is from uh, Magipore Chronicles. Oh okay, yeah. Uh, you you, you got to read that, and uh, you, you you haven't read Silverberg until you've read uh, Dying Inside and mm. the Stochastic Man. Dying Inside is about uh, a guy who's uh, a uh, a telepath, and he's lived his whole life being a telepath. But he's you know he's got all the human foibles and the, the whole deal. But he starts to lose his uh, his telepathic power, and it's all about how he's um, mourning the loss of this power and how is he going to exist without it? And uh, a, a very cool story, very deep. Very cool. Have you read Lord Valentine's Castle, Jesse? I haven't. No. I I mean it's a long book because I'm looking at Audible now. It's 19 hours. It, it, it's it's a, it's a big thick one because Silverberg had stopped writing not too long after Book of Skulls and then didn't write for a few years and suddenly he dropped this onto the world. I read it a few years later, and it's like, oh, wow, this is cool. Actually, well, Valentine's Castle was my first Silverberg, as I recall. Maybe maybe I read a story or two, but it was the first novel I I read of his was Lord Valentine's Castle. Like, what a cool world! This yeah, is, man. <laughs> yeah. Dying Inside is seven hours and 30 minutes, and it is available, read by Stefan Rudnicki. So maybe we've got another cool. book to put on the yeah, sketch. Yeah, Dying, dying yep, Inside's yeah. real good. Yeah. I can totally do seven and a half hours. 21 hours, 19 hours, a <laughs> little yeah, bit longer, I, I, yeah, three I know, times I the length, right? Yeah, that, and it's that, also a series, which I, I, I'm okay usually with the first book in a series, generally, as long as it's finished, you it, know, it, sort of wrapped it, up. It does wrap up in the first book, but then there are more things happen afterwards. Mm. Cool. I, I mean, he gets to where he wants to go at the end of the first book, and then the, the following volumes do more things in Madripoor. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I know series it's back then read. sort of meant meant that uh, the first book did really well, and so let's keep going, right? Right. Today, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think a lot of people write the three books and then they market them, or right? or, or they write a portion of a story. Yeah, but yeah, 
Lord Valentine's Castle is complete, and I should actually reread it, even if we don't do it for this podcast at some point. Well, we certainly could. But um, it is long. But the uh, dying side The major thing, you know, I, I haven't read a ton of Silverberg. I've read a few of his short stories, but the major thing I think of him when I think of him as a as a science fiction or fantasy writer, I always think of Nightwings. You guys know that Yes. One? Oh, God, yes. I That was one of the books I decided I needed to read and reconsume on my trip to Rome in 2015 because, you know, it... Because it's all about the the far future city of Rome after after the various disasters and under it's this a road trip shame. too, isn't it? It, it? it is a road trip too. They they're they're going from uh, the the Holy Land of the East across the across the bridge of the now mostly dried Mediterranean Sea all, all the way up to Rome and what they find there. I never did get to the mouth though. I meant to do that in Rome and I couldn't. I never got to the mouth that they because that mouth in. Mike Wings is a real mouth. It's a real place. I didn't actually get there. I need to do that on a trip back to Rome because, you know, it's a Nightwings. The other one I think about uh, with Silverberg is there's a story called Hero of the Empire. I think it's collected in a book of stories that are similar to it. Oh, yeah. yeah, Roma Eterna. Yeah, yeah, that's it in the Rome, the world where Rome never falls. Hero of the Empire is the one that's set in Mecca, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, He finds a, a young man who who wants to start a new religion and then murders him. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very politically <laughs> So that the Muslim uh, faith never f- flourishes, out. right? Yeah. Mm. To keep the Roman Empire going, you have to do what you got to do, is what, what I well, think the I philosophy mean, behind like, that is. Yeah. Well, if you want to make an omelet, yep. you got to break a, a few religions. <laughs> a little less bloody. Harry Turtledove has a series of stories where the in the first story... Muhammad converts to Christianity, and so the Muslim religion never never uh, gets off the ground. And the Eastern Eastern uh, Empire just goes on and on, fighting Persia all the time because there's mm. no there's no Muslim conquest because Muhammad is basically a saint. Mm. So that's a little less be- a little less bloody than getting just murdering him outright. Mm. But turtle has got a new novel that just came out. I just, I got a review copy. I could see from here where where uh, the, the balance between science and religion is different with, went differently in the Muslim countries versus Europe. And so the Muslim countries became, become ascendant over Europe. At least that's what they uh, were ascendant over Europe for a long and, time. And they right? stay and, and they stay in this book. It's called through darkest Europe. And I'm eager to read that at some point and see what turtle dove does with that idea. This has been the SFF audio podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Hiya. Good morning. Hello. Are you ready to join a cult this morning? Ready. <laughs> Let's look for some Pauls. Some Paul. I'm looking for a Paul. He should be under <coughs> me, but he's not. Because... Stupid reasons. Stupid Skype. J.K. Mice. Paul. Oh, oh, oh. Getting into the Paul section. There's a yellow Paul. <laughs> look for uh, Green Wayne. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. No phone. I do not want to talk to you. Don't want to talk to me. Stop it. No, the phone. No, I want. I want the phone.
<laughs> hey, hello. Good morning. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear Loud us? and clear. Yes, indeed. There's someone there. There we go. All right. Can you hear me? Yep. We can hear you. Can you hear One, two. Uh-oh. He can't hear us. One, two. Uh, we can hear you. Can you hear us? We can hear you. Check one, two. Hello. Hi. I happen to have a copy of a paper book here, so I'm just going to look at the end of chapter nine. I think there was something, something to look at. Chapter nine? I think so. Oh, Number nine. Number nine. Yeah, something like that. It's 11. 10. Here's the end of nine. Yeah, there it is. Awesome. I awesome. can hear you now. Hello. 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 All right. How's everyone? Good. How are you? I'm swell. I'm much, better, much better than I was yesterday. I was having computer problems, and I was on with Microsoft Techs, three different live chat guys oh, who God. took over control of my computer. Twelve hours, no exaggeration, twelve hours. Wow. Makes you want to switch <laughs> to Mac. Oh, God, makes me want to switch to not being alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know a cult in Arizona that can help you with that. <laughs> in the desert. <coughs> North of Phoenix. Yes. Uh-huh. Spoilers. Okay. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. All right. Oh, I don't know how long we have everybody, so I, I I have until eleven when my students show up. But um, I think I think we'll have enough time if we uh, want to have a pre-chat. But that's mm-hmm. um. Yep, I have two hours. Okay, good. Got to be out at eleven my time, which is two hours from now. Paul, do you have gaming today? I, I do. We switched our gaming around since I'm going to be gone for several weeks. So, although we gamed last week, we're also gaming this week because otherwise I'd miss two sessions. They didn't want that. So, yeah, right. we're, I'm gaming right up again to, today. So, all right. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, what time's your cutoff time? About the same as Scott. <clears throat> same as Scott? Two hours. Okay. Yeah. We're good. And Wayne, you, you don't I wanna... got it. I, I got I got nothing. Okay, you got nothing. Else. I, I'll I'll stay on after you guys leave, leave and just <laughs> talk to the walls. <laughs> oh, I started editing editing up the um, Morales show, um, and it's going to be a good one. I think I'm uh, I was listening to it and uh, I was like, oh God, these guys are smart. <laughs> <laughs> they really get Poe. Because <laughs> if I record it far enough apart from when I edit it, I, I, I sort of forget everything except, you know, oh, yeah, there's a show back then. But then yeah, that's absolutely, that's the way to do it. Yeah. I, I, Give yourself I, a little distance. Yeah. Um, and I put up some uh, some good new stuff for you, Wayne. Got put up some mm-hmm. Arthur Mackin and some MP Shield. Uh, this book, uh, did you see the tweet? I think I, I directed it at you. A letter to Weird Tales from um, <clears throat> H.P. Lovecraft, and apropos of nothing, he just says, "I'm reading this great story <laughs> called The House <laughs> of Sounds by M.P. Yes, Shield. I did see that. I did yeah, see that. and it's a, like a long, like a paragraph about how good it is, and it compares it to uh, Follow the House of Usher. 
So I, wow. I couldn't find um, I couldn't find the uh, version that he was reading, but I found the original, which apparently has uh, the same content, but a little. It, it later on has been edited a little bit um, uh, to remove some. What did somebody say? Like uh, a flowery language or something? I'm not sure. But, Purple prose. Yeah. So it's called the House of Sounds in the revised version, and it's called Valia, which I guess is the name of the main character. Um, so that that one I'm looking forward to reading. There's a bunch of other good good little items up. Cool. As well, yeah. It's 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 a really nice amount of stuff that's available now. I'm just getting so many weird tales back to back to back and like sort of overwhelmed. Uh oh, I lost you again. Where are oh. you? Okay, let's start that 12-hour phone call to uh, uh, <laughs> Microsoft. Oh, there it is. Hello. See, it's in my headphone jack, is what it is. Oh. Okay. So it's not Skype at all. Oh, well, that's. <clears throat> Could be a good thing if you got a spare set of headphones and they die. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to bring up the Wikipedia entry for this book. Uh, book O Skulls. Book O Skulls. <laughs> book O Skulls. What was that uh, picture you sent, uh, Paul? Oh, that that was a couple skulls that Fran Wall saw at a museum, and she she likes to do sketching in her journal so she sketched the skulls uh-huh. so i thought hey i know there's only three instead of four but i thought hey book of skulls here's the but then here's, here's i the- found out that's wrong i went back and re-listened to the beginning and it it's eight skulls on the cover right oh i thought you were thinking of the four protagonists yeah i guess i was that's what that's what that's what i assumed you were thinking of yeah hey we have artistic license we can do whatever the hell we want that's true <laughs> All right, uh, I got a recorder going. I got the Wikipedia entry up. I've got my chapter nine uh, bookmarked, literally bookmarked. Um, I think we're probably good to go. You guys ready? Yes, sir. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Uh, Jesse, uh, Scott, Paul, Wayne. 